Utah skiers and riders, welcome back to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. And a shout out to Utah's own Pixie and the Partygrass Boys for kicking things off. A big welcome to our sponsor, High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey, all in the context of our home here in the American West. When you're in town, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. And a welcome to our episode sponsors. For more than four decades, Cooper Wind Property Management, formerly Identity Properties, has been matching skiers to vacation rentals in Park City. And a welcome to Hyatt-centric Park City, a true ski-in, ski-out resort located in Canyons Resort Village next to the Sunrise Lift. For thousands and thousands of skiers and riders each season, the Salt Lake City International Airport is the welcoming gateway that introduces them to our great state. And if you've flown to Utah lately, you know the airport has a whole new look. Today, Last Chair is coming to you from the central plaza of the new SLC as we speak with Director of Airports Bill Wyatt. The new SLC was born out of a visionary look into the future by Salt Lake City. With an aging airport that was serving nearly three times its planned capacity, it was indeed time for a change. A native of Oregon, Bill Wyatt had just retired in 2017 from his longtime job as the head of Portland's airport. All of a sudden, a recruiter came calling, and he took them up on an invitation to move to Salt Lake City. Five years later, Bill Wyatt is enjoying his new role piloting one of the most important ski area gateways in the world, and also building his own passion for the sport as a skier himself. Our conversation offers a fascinating look behind the scenes where you'll learn about the airport's climate enhancements and how it saved two years of construction timeline by innovative decisions during the early stages of the pandemic. Now let's head through security into the central plaza of the new SLC as we talk with airport director Bill Wyatt. Well, Last Chair is here today at the new Salt Lake City International Airport. Don't worry, we are not going anywhere. We're here today with the executive director of the airport, Bill Wyatt. And Bill, thanks for joining us here in the plaza. Hey, you bet. I've been looking forward to this. So give me an idea for our listeners, where are we in the airport right now? This is sort of the town center of the airport. People have just come out of the security checkpoint uh, and they come out into the plaza before they either stop maybe and have a bite or head up to the Sky Club, or move on to their gate. You know, we're surrounded by two of my favorite places here right now. On one side, we have Roosters, uh, which is based up in Ogden. On the other, we have the Market Street Grill. One of the things that's just struck me when I first saw the airport now just over two years ago is the spaciousness. And and sitting here in the plaza right now, just looking around, you have a real feeling that you're actually in the open air. Yes. And I think, you know, a great deal of thought went into the design of the airport, which has been really in the works for the better part of 30 years. Uh, and I think the idea of creating scale and spaciousness was very important because, you know, Frankly, travel can be uh, stressful, and this is a really nice, comfortable place to be. You can sit right against the glass curtain wall and look out at the action on the airfield, or you can sit down and have a meal at uh, uh, Market Street or Roosters, or just sit here and relax. 
Yeah, it just really has a good feel. Now, on this podcast, we have an audience of skiers and snowboarders. We're going to talk airport today. But since you arrived here at Salt Lake, you really upped your ski game, haven't you? Oh, I have. I mean, and, and it's been so easy to do because my house is, uh, you know, in 40 minutes, I'm buckled up and ready to go at the base of the mountain. So, uh, and the best snow in the world, really. So uh, I have enjoyed it very, very much. For those who aren't here with us, Bill is sporting a Deer Valley vest today. Is that your resort of choice? Uh, it is. I'm an Icon Pass holder. We, uh, My partner and I like to ski in the middle of the week, which I think is terrific for locals. And so... Yeah, we're looking forward to a great ski season. Yeah, it is it, it is amazing. There are so many resorts that are within driving distance of Salt Lake City. Let's get a little bit about your background. Uh, you spent most of your career in Portland, Oregon. Give us an idea of your background and what it was that led you here to Salt Lake City. So, yeah, I was born and raised in, uh, in Oregon. I actually was born in Astoria, Oregon, which is at the mouth of the Columbia River, and lived there all of my life. Uh, I spent seven years as the chief of staff to the governor of Oregon, and then uh, nearly 17 years as the executive director of the Port of Portland, which owns the Portland International Airport and several other uh, maritime facilities. And, you know, after 17 years, I was ready for something new. So I retired. And literally three days after I retired, I got a call from the search firm that was doing the search for this job. And I didn't know at that time a lot about it, but I began inquiring around in the industry. And, you know, as I got my head wrapped around what was happening here, it was very clear that what was happening in Salt Lake can't really happen anywhere else in the United States for a variety of reasons. And I just thought, you know, what an opportunity. I want to go be part of that. What was the size of the Portland airport compared to Salt Lake City? Uh, well, that's a really good question. Salt Lake City has more total annual passengers. You know, this year we'll be in the neighborhood of 28 million. Uh, in ordinary times, Portland would be sort of 18 or 19. Portland has more local traffic, though, than Salt Lake does because we're a connecting hub and they're not. Yeah, that is a big difference. Uh, so how long did it take you to, th to kind of think, yeah, this would be an interesting move for us. I think not very long, frankly, because uh, I just started, as I said, poking around in the industry and getting a sense for it. And the people I knew just said, you know, if you're prepared at this point in your life to go move somewhere, that would be a great opportunity. And it was a great time for me to do that. And so I got here five years ago this month. Had you spent any time in Utah before that? Boy, 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, not very much. I arrived here and I literally knew two people in Utah, uh, the mayor and her chief of staff. So uh, it's been a ride, but a great one. Just kind of setting airports aside, what are some of the attributes of Utah that have really attracted you now in these past few years? Well, the outdoors. Um, I always thought uh, Oregon was, was an outdoor kind of place, and it is. But Utah just has so much to, to offer. As I said, you know, uh, I live in the Upper Avenues here in Salt Lake, three blocks from the Bonneville Shoreline Trail, which is practically, you know, wilderness uh, compared to what I'm accustomed to. We just recently bought some property down in southern Utah that we're building on, and there just isn't anything about, you know, the landscape, the area that we don't like. I found people to be very friendly here, uh, easy to interact with and communicate with. And yeah, we've just really, really enjoyed it a lot. 
you know, a lot of people come here for the skiing and then they discover the desert. The desert yeah. is wonderful, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. It's fabulous. And and I can say I'm, you know, I'm a, a dyed in the wool Oregon duck, uh, but I love watching the Utes play as well. Yeah, it is. That, that That's that's tough being in the same conference. Let's talk about uh, Salt Lake City as an airport. For those of us who have lived here for many years, we grew really accustomed to our old airport, and uh, it was really easy for us because we kind of knew our way around. But if you could first set the stage, where does Salt Lake City stand across the United States in terms of size and stature? Well, in terms of, uh, of total employment, we're 20th uh, largest in the country today, and that is largely because we're a Delta hub. So 70% of their traffic uh, connects through Salt Lake. Uh, but the beauty of that is it, what it means is that Salt Lake, which without being a connecting hub, would probably have 45 or so nonstop flights. Today, I think we have about 95 and that's what that connecting hub status does for uh, for Salt Lake. Uh, during the pandemic, obviously not something any of us ever anticipated. Salt Lake was one of the fastest to return uh, service. Uh, and today, I think we stand as the most recovered airport in the country in terms of airplane seats in the market. Uh, and that has a lot to do with why we're here talking. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, there was a point at which people just said, you know what, I'm getting out of my basement, I'm going to go somewhere. They weren't going to go to New York City, they weren't going to Disneyland, but they did come to Salt Lake because they could go skiing or they could go to the national parks or up into the desert. And I think we're continuing to see uh, very strong volumes for all of that. I know that the pandemic is something we really want to put behind us, but let's go back to February of 2020. What were your employments like in February of 2020? And then what were they like two months later in April? So a big day here in Salt Lake. I always look at uh, how many people are going to arrive at the front door because that's where you really have to pay attention. And a big day for us is 30,000 people. Uh, and that February, I think we had two or three of those days. President's Day weekend is yeah. a huge you know, travel uh, period here. In March, late March, I remember standing on the skybridge to my office, which was above Terminal A, for 10 minutes and not seeing a single passenger. And we were at that point about five months from opening. So um, it was obviously concerning. And if you remember back to the sort of March, April, May of 20, there wasn't a lot of optimism in the air. Uh, there was no talk about a vaccine really uh, at that point. Uh, there was a lot of unknown about uh, this disease. Uh, I, in my prior life, have traveled extensively in Asia uh, during SARS and MERS and saw what happened uh, there. Uh, so we really had to think through what our game plan was going to be because uh, we had to open. We'd sold bonds to investors to build this facility. We were that close. We were going to have to start paying on those bonds anyway. So um, it turned out to be serendipitous. We had an earthquake, which did some fairly significant damage uh, to the old airport. So never a doubt about opening. 
the question was, uh, how much of the program would we carry forward with? We're going to talk a little bit more about the plan, and uh, I know we'll dive back into some of the benefits that pandemic actually brought to your construction. But just to talk a little bit about the airport itself, and, and, and maybe if you could elaborate on what your specific role is. I know that you oversee the whole thing, but what are some of the areas that are really big focal points for you in managing the Salt Lake City International Airport? Uh, you know, one of the questions I get all the time is, how much time do you spend on the project and how much time on day to day? And the, uh, the team at Salt Lake has always uh, been regarded as one of the best uh, in the country. And so the airport um, is really strong in terms of day-to-day operations. In addition, with a hub carrier uh, like Delta, they're heavily invested here. And so uh, the two of us forge a very strong relationship in terms of the day-to-day uh, operation. And so unless there is a problem, there isn't really much uh, that requires my attention on a daily basis. But this project, which is approaching, you know, $5 billion, it, it's like building a new house. It's not like you turn the plans over to the architect and say, give me a call when you're done. You know, it's just this relentless decision making uh, about a, things that maybe have changed since the plans were originally developed or problems that weren't anticipated, uh, other challenges, supply chain issues, so on and so forth. Uh, and then also adapting to the growth that was not forecast back in 2012 uh, has been, I would say, our number one challenge. We're growing at a rate that far exceeds uh, what the architects and engineers uh, who designed this place imagined. And so coping with that has been a really big part of the job. Let's talk about the plan now. And if you, I know this was before you, but if you could go back in time when this project was conceived, what the airport was, the old airport was designed to handle and yeah. what it was actually handling. Yeah, so the old airport uh, was designed to handle about 10 million annual passengers. And in its last full year of operation, did just a little over 28. Uh, and, you know, th- this issue of capacity is kind of a tricky one because uh, it's capacity at what cost, at what expense. Uh, and the old airport really couldn't handle much more. It certainly couldn't handle any more aircraft. Uh, we were just full, unless somebody wanted to fly in at three in the morning, but that's not typically a hot time of the day to uh, travel. When we had the earthquake in April of 2020, the age of that facility uh, really began to show itself. And part of that, of course, is you don't put a lot of money into maintenance uh, of an old facility that you're in the process of replacing, but nevertheless, it was old. It was not designed as a hub. Uh, I was I hold up my hand uh, when I talk about the old airport because that's what it looked like. You know, you had these five fingers or five concourses that were connected, and if there was a single aircraft movement in between any two of those fingers, everything else came to a stop. Uh, and so, this airport is designed as a 21st century hub airport where no aircraft ever has to wait for another one to get out of its way, which has, by the way, enormous positive environmental benefits because the old airport caused a lot of jet fuel to be burned unnecessarily because of that uh, design feature. 
you were in Portland at the time, but had you been watching what was going on at Salt Lake City with the plans for a new airport? You know, I have to say, not really. Uh, I had flown through Salt Lake, as many people would on many occasions, connecting to some other place. So I was roughly familiar with the old airport, but um, it took, you know, three or four days of poking around before I realized that something huge was happening. And I think it's important to uh, for people to understand that the plans for the facility that we're sitting in right now uh, were actually devised back in 96, 97, 98. And the idea was we'll get underway right after the Olympics. Well, then 9-11 happened and that roiled the industry. Okay, how about 2007? Then we had the uh, the financial meltdown of 2007 and 8, and then the subsequent uh, airline bankruptcies. So this 1990s plan didn't get underway really until 2012, uh, and then groundbreaking in 2014. So it's been in the works for quite a while, but I have to say I wasn't uh, that familiar with it. One of the elements that I don't even recall is that well in advance of the groundbreaking, one of the tunnels was actually constructed as a part of another project. Can you tell us about that and when did that take place? You bet. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking out the windows of the central plaza where there is now a central tunnel being constructed. But that tunnel would have taken out concourse D and E. Well, you, you know, you couldn't shut the airport down for uh, seven or eight years to build the new one. Uh, and so in order to enable this project, the airport went to the FAA, got a grant for $8 million, which is amazing to me because that's a pretty good buy, uh, built that tunnel and then buried it in anticipation of the ultimate development of the airport that you and I are now uh, sitting in. Without that, we couldn't have done this. It would have been a very different kind of project. And the plans were sufficient at that time that they knew where that tunnel was going to go? Yeah, I think um, the answer is basically yes, uh, because even though we have a lot of property here to work with, we don't have that much. Um, and the basic design, the idea of these two parallel concourses meant that um, it was close enough because you could always extend it or uh, do something else. But what it meant was uh, we could begin using the taxiways out here right away because the tunnel was already uh, constructed and all that had to happen was to connect it to the concourses on each end, the A concourse and the B concourse. It was an incredible uh, visionary effort on behalf of Salt Lake City at that time. For those of us here in Utah who use the airport regularly and skiers who are coming on a regular basis, you probably watched that construction happening in the last few years uh, leading up to the opening in 2020. You were able to run a pretty seamless operation at the old airport while this one was being built, weren't you? Yes, we were. And, you know, that that is a real team effort because you have the Department of Airports, you have the project management team, which is a group of individuals that work uh, under contract for the airport to manage the construction project. And then you had at that time two joint venture contractors who were building the airport uh, and a tremendous amount of planning went into making certain that the operation of the old airport uh, was not impeded in any significant way. Uh, and that just means we're all really joined at the hip. And I put a lot of 
emphasis on teamwork. Uh, and we have a wonderful team. Um, you, you, if you were, if I were to line them all up here, you couldn't tell one from the other. Uh, people work very well together here. It's the only way you can do something that is this complex. One other area I wanted to touch on is that the decision was made somewhere along the line to go for LEED Gold certification. Yes. Tell us, uh, tell our listeners what LEED certification is and why it was so important for Salt Lake City to take the, no pun intended, LEED in that project. Well, this was a decision that I believe came from the Salt Lake City Council, the mayor, the then mayor, Ralph Becker, and uh, the Salt Lake City Council. And, you know, given what airports do, uh, it's a pretty bold move, but uh, w- what it means is leadership in energy uh, and environment design. <clears throat> and uh, there is such a thing as the Green Building Council that certifies whether or not you uh, meet uh, their metrics for qualification under the various standards. Uh, and the decision was made to go for gold. There's one higher, platinum, very difficult for an entire airport to do. You can do it on a building, but for the entire airport, very challenging. Uh, And really the way that this was accomplished was a tremendous focus on energy efficiency. Uh, The little bag tugs that take the bags back and forth from the planes, they're all electric now. Uh, They're not actually allowed to have internal combustion engines in the bag halls or underneath the building at all. Natural light harvesting, a tremendous amount of environmental automation uh, that goes uh, with the building. Uh, we use today less electricity in this building than we did in the old airport, uh, which I think is a, a sign of uh, the effort that was uh, undertaken. But I think, you know, this is a day when I look out the window and you can definitely see the inversion. Uh, and as a, as a relative outsider, one of the things I note is how universal the commitment is to dealing with that issue. And so that was really on top of mind for everybody associated in the early days of this project. So little things like um, free-flowing dual taxi lanes in all directions means that planes are taxing uh, less on the ground uh, and getting out of here quicker, which means a, a huge amount of carbon uh, savings. So the day the new airport opened, I like to say, was probably the best day for air quality in this valley in a very, very long time. Let's go back to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And there was a point at which the pandemic had a silver lining for you in your construction plan. As, as we got into the spring of 2020, at what point did you realize that maybe this was going to provide us an opportunity with our timeline and costs? You know, I went to, uh, back to Washington, D.C. for a, an airport conference in, on March 5th. It was evident that something big was happening, <clears throat> and it was on everybody's mind. I came back, and uh, we sat down with our team and the project management team and, and Delta and, and the other carriers and said, okay, you know, the, the previous plan was to continue operating parts of the old airport while we operated this part of the new airport to maintain maximum gate count. Uh, and the real question was, do we need to do that? Uh, can, can you guys just suck it up and tighten your belt for a couple of years? If we were to tear down all of the old airport at once, it would allow us to Uh, conclude uh, the project two years in advance of the original schedule. 
And to Delta's credit, they said, absolutely, let's do that. And the uh, I, I call it off-ramps and on-ramps. So we created a series of off-ramps and on-ramps. Off-ramps so that if the business never really came back the way that it was before, we'd have an airport sized to service this community all by itself. Uh, or on-ramps so that if traffic began to return faster than anticipated, um, we could roll into uh, the various other elements that we had originally intended uh, and have the full product two years in advance. And as it turns out, we have uh, flipped the switch on all of the on-ramps. So we're on time, we're on budget, and uh, frankly are hopeful that we'll actually be uh, concluding uh, at the end of the current project, an additional 16-gate expansion, which we can talk about as you wish. That's remarkable. Uh, for those listening to the podcast, you can go to SkiUtah.com, and we're going to provide some links to some videos and other documents that really show you uh, a, a good overview of how this timeline has worked. We're with Bill Wyatt, the Executive Director of the Salt Lake City International Airport. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on Last Chair. We'll be back with Bill Wyatt shortly, but first let's head up the canyon to my hometown of Park City. One of the great aspects of skiing and riding in Park City is the vast array of vacation rental opportunities from intimate slopeside inns to comfy rentals just steps from historic Main Street. Now in its 43rd year of matching skiers to lodging, Cooper Wynn Property Management, formerly Identity Properties, is your ideal stop to find that home away from home. Everything from studios to four-bedroom rentals and more. Cooper Wynn offers a truly distinctive collection of Park City vacation rentals, many with heated pools or hot tubs. And most are close to Park City's free bus system so you can avoid renting a car. You have a lot of choices today, but as a Park City local myself, I know the value that long-term knowledge brings, and that's Cooper Wynn. Check out the winter discounts at PCLodge.com or give them a call at 1-800-245-6417 for rates and availability. That's PCLodge.com. Cooper Wynn, your home away from home in Park City. Now let's head back to Salt Lake City International Airport with Bill Wyatt. Welcome back to Last Chair. We're with Bill Wyatt, the Executive Director of the Salt Lake City International Airport today. And Bill, thanks for the uh, overview of the whole planning process. One other element of the plan I want to touch on is where we go from here. There's still construction. There's still another phase to complete. Looking forward, what is the timeline like now? So the, the milestones that are in front of us, uh, we recently completed one milestone, which is to allow for aircraft to taxi over the top of what we call the central tunnel. Uh, that's key to the efficient operation of the airport. That was on time. The next big milestone will occur in May when the first four gates on A Concourse East, which is currently under construction, open. And then the following November, all of the A Concourse uh, opens. And that'll be a blessed moment because uh, the other thing that happens is that what we call the hard stand, which Delta operates, which is you go out to B, you go all the way uh, down to B30, uh, you go down the ramp, you get on a bus and you're bust out your aircraft or vice versa. That goes away in uh, a year from now. So we're excited about that. Uh, that'll be a big moment. And then the following fall, the central tunnel will open. 
that's going to make a really fundamental change here to uh, the airport because uh, that means instead of coming out from the checkpoint and turning left and going halfway down the concourse and down the mid-concourse tunnel to the V-concourse, you're going to come out to the center plaza where we are right now. You're either going to turn right, you're going to turn left, or you're going to go straight ahead. And it will significantly improve uh, the customer experience. Uh, and then uh, following the construction of what I'm looking at out the window right now is the B concourse. Um, I am confident that we will begin construction of a 16 gate expansion, something that was not really anticipated for several years, uh, which will conclude in 2027. Uh, and that means in the space of seven years, Salt Lake will have gone to an airport from an airport that had uh, 52 jet bridges to one with 94 jet bridges. Uh, and that growth is really a mere reflection of what's been happening in the economy uh, of this value, uh, this valley uh, to the, the ski industry, the tourism industry, just the tremendous growth that we all can see with our own eyes. So did you, did you indicate that in a year from now, we'll have jet bridges to every arrival aircraft? Yes. That's really remarkable. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. You know, it's not really much fun to get out there in February and bundle up and, you know, hustle down the ramp and get on a, it's, it, it was the only uh, option that we really had available to us in the event that traffic uh, returned more quickly. So I'm glad that we were able to do it, but I'll be really glad when we're able to put it to bed. Delta Airlines, which is a Ski Utah sponsor, is the largest user of the airport. But how many different carriers do you have in here now? We have a about nine, I think it is. Uh, I'll try and name them all. Uh, this is dangerous, of course. It's always dangerous. <laughs> uh, Delta, who is our hub carrier, uh, you know, United, uh, American, uh, Southwest, JetBlue, Alaska, Spirit Airlines, a new airline, which we're very pleased about. Uh, I think I mentioned uh, Southwest Airlines. German Eurowings, uh, subsidiary of Lufthansa, which flies seasonally to uh, Frankfurt. Uh, Aeromexico flies here. KLM flies here. Uh, and I would expect that we're going to see many more, uh, particularly on the international front. We're making an emphasis in that direction. Uh, international is still a little wobbly, uh, I'd say, uh, around the globe. Asia, practically not at all. Uh, but Salt Lake uh, is a place that uh, many airlines want to come to. So we've got a lot of folks knocking on the door. I'm excited about the future here. Is, is the decision on a carrier, an international carrier coming here, one of the carrier? Or can the Salt Lake City International Airport influence carriers to start service into certain markets? Well, um, we can influence and we try to do that. We, we um, have a full-time operation at air service uh, development, uh, as I said, focused primarily on international service. Uh, and um, when that world opens up again, I think we're going to see quite a bit of new uh, international service. Now, if someone just knocks on the door and says, we're coming to Salt Lake, we really cannot say no to them. Uh, the FAA um, has a you know a whole set of regulations around fair competition, which we rigorously adhere to. But that doesn't prevent us from 
going out and knocking on doors of carriers that we think would offer, you know, a unique uh, brand and service into Salt Lake. Are there some international markets that you can maybe tease us on that might be coming in the next year or two? Well, I need to be careful here. Uh, you know, it's a very competitive world, but uh, there is one carrier that would surprise no one, and that's Iceland Air. I could see them here in a couple of years. They have a very unique product offering. If you're flying on them to, say, Europe, you can stop in Reykjavik and stay in Iceland for four days uh, without any penalty and then travel on to you know Norway or Denmark or wherever it is you may be going. Uh, and this is a market that they would be very interested in. Um, they're not quite ready, uh, I don't think, but you know th- that's a good example of one. Let's let's take a dive into the airport itself from the perspective of a skier arriving here at Salt Lake mm-hmm. City. Uh, and and I, I have to start out in saying, while I don't travel quite as much as I used to, as I travel around today and having seen this airport, I, I really am proud on one hand and. And also pretty pleased that this is my home airport. I get to travel in and out of here whenever I choose to travel. Others make choices. And I I think that what people will find here, what skiers and snowboarders will find here, is something that will make them want to come to Salt Lake City. It's an attractive airport to fly into. It's, you know, uh, the ski industry had a lot to do with various design elements of the airport. And just to give you one example that I really love, the bag belts where the agent puts your bag is a full foot wider than a conventional bag belt. Uh, and that is to accommodate oversized bags like skis, like snowboards, like golf clubs. When you are an arriving passenger, you go out into the bag hall to grab your bags uh, and your ski bag is on a vertical carousel. Uh, so it's a lot easier to pick off. Uh, And I might say for those skiers who've had their four or five days of skiing and then are going home, we're making some adjustments here that I think are going to be tremendously well received. One, if you take a shuttle down uh, from Park City, for example, uh, and arrive at level one, which is the ground floor, you can get off there and go directly in and check in. Uh, and uh, then move through the checkpoint from level one itself. You don't have to go up three stories uh, to do that. The other thing that Delta is going to do this season, I'm very excited for this. Uh, It'll really mean a lot for the airport is they're working with the resorts to allow customers to check their oversized bag at the resort. It'll be delivered uh, sometime during the night uh, to the airport uh, go through the uh, the Cebus, the the bag check uh, area, and the skier will see their bag when they arrive at their destination. Uh, very exciting prospect because that'll make the check-in process so much easier. But if you're an arriving skier here, I think the most amazing thing is you get here at 10 in the morning, uh, you go out and if you're renting a car, you're taking a shuttle, you've got a service hired, you're going to ski in that day. Uh, as opposed to Denver, where uh, you're going to spend the rest of your day traveling up to the resort area. So the proximity of the airport to uh, the ski areas here is just, uh, it's unparalleled. There really isn't anything like it. There is a proliferation of shuttle services to all the resorts, but for those that do still choose to rent a car, you've also decided with the new airport to keep the car rentals on property, so you can yeah. walk across and get a rental car and never have to leave the terminal complex. Critically important, and I, I don't say these things to be a chest thumper, but if you go to Dallas, for example, and you want to rent a car, 
you get on a shuttle bus and you drive for 15 or 20 minutes before you get to the center where your car is. Here, as you say, you just you know walk out, walk across the terminal building, uh, grab your car, and you're off. And this was, a at the time, a controversial decision because it is a lot more expensive to have that offered at the airport. But Salt Lake has always been a very, very strong rental car market for the airport. Uh, and I think a very sound and wise judgment was made at the time to keep rental cars right at the airport. So one of the challenges of going to any airport is the security process, but mm-hmm. it's a necessary thing. We all understand that. Talk about the innovations that were deployed here at the new Salt Lake City International relative to security, the whole TSA process. Well, one of the decisions we had to make early on um, <clears throat> was the equipment that would be used at the checkpoint, because in most airports, they're still using uh, really older technology. Um, we decided you know, we're not going to open this multi-billion dollar new airport with yesterday's technology. So let's get state-of-the-art technology, uh, one that will be easy to operate for the agents and one that will be fairly seamless for uh, for passengers. And so um, at each uh, row, there are four uh, divesting positions. So you roll up, you grab your device there, you put it up, you divest yourself. If you need two, you got two, they automatically return. If you need three, you got three, and off it goes. Uh, It is scanned um, remotely, uh, so there's nobody looking at you and looking at the picture, looking at you and looking at the picture. Uh, And then, you know, if it alarms, it goes down uh, a separate aisle, and you go down and Uh, The agent uh, grabs the bin, holds it up, uh, the bin gets red, and up pops the image of whatever it was that caused that uh, bin to be uh, pushed aside. So the throughput here is very high per lane. That's really important because we don't want to have to spend a lot more money building a larger uh, checkpoint. And so we have embraced technology here that will continue to expedite the service. We have clear in Salt Lake, not every airport does. And of course, uh, TSA pre-check. And I always say to people, if you travel at all, get pre-check, get clear, and your checkpoint experience is gonna be five minutes uh, and you're gonna be on your way. And that's advice that I would give to anybody because it really does make a big difference. If you travel once every three years, maybe not. But if you're traveling four or five times a year, it's really worth it. You know, as a, I, I'm not a large traveler as I used to be, but I do find clear TSA pre for sure. And clear is really worth the investment. You're two years into this thing right now. It seems to be working. It is. And, you know, you mentioned uh, the potential benefits of uh, COVID. One of them was we didn't open with 30,000 people at the front door. Uh, this is a brand new facility. Everything is new here. The bag handling system, the checkpoint, all of the technology, most of which you can't see. And uh, I'll be the first to say, not all of it worked perfectly on the opening day. Uh, It took a while to really tweak it and understand how it worked. Uh, And we had a few months to really be able to do that, which turned out to be a very positive thing. But all of the major systems here work. The jet bridges, which are very sophisticated, uh, the bag handling system, uh, which is Uh, I won't say state-of-the-art. We didn't want to be on the cutting edge or the bleeding edge. Uh, We wanted to be close to that. 
but it's working very well. We've had the chance to really tweak it. All of our concessions are open. There are still a lot of airports in the United States that don't have that. Uh, we are just going through another round of concessions uh, for the next uh, phase. Uh, I can say being able to read their financial reports every month, uh, they're going gangbusters. The Sky Club here, uh, one of the largest in the Delta system, is terrific. Uh, when we get done with the 16-gate expansion, Delta will build another one over on the B concourse. So they'll have 60,000 square feet of, uh, of Sky Club here. Uh, the roadways, the taxiways, the ramp areas uh, are all working incredibly well. So we're really, we're really happy uh, with the airport. The bathrooms, uh, you know, this may seem an odd topic of conversation, but at an airport, that's an important one. No one ever has to wait in line. The old airport would have lines out the door routinely. Uh, not the case here. Um, more than potty parity for uh, women's bathrooms, which is critically um, important. And the design and the operation of those bathrooms has proven to be really terrific. Uh, no touch appliances, which turned out to be a great thing, you know, during uh, COVID. And you uh, made that determination before COVID. Correct. Way before. Yeah. So we're... We're really pleased. It's it's doing well. It wasn't perfect uh, in the beginning. Uh, nobody really, we didn't really expect it to be, but we've taken advantage of the time and the opportunity to really fine tune everything. Let's talk about the restaurants and the shops. This is, as a frequent traveler, I would never really go to the airport early because there was a restaurant I wanted to visit, but it's, it's a whole different deal here. What a great compliment you have of both local and national brands. So that was really, uh, I think, very early on, a strong desire uh, to have not just local people, but other travelers walk in here and see brands that you would recognize as Salt Lake City. So you mentioned Roosters and Marketplace and Cafe Rio and Wasatch Brewing and Squatters, uh, all things that local folks would, uh, would recognize along with, uh, of course, some very important uh, national franchises as well. We'll have a new uh, Burger King in the next phase, which uh, I think represents an important segment uh, of the market. Uh, but we'll have more local brands uh, as well. And that's really a very important part of what the airport can contribute uh, to the economy of the region is helping local folks uh, participate in the business opportunities that exist because the airport's here. The one last thing on the airport I want to touch on is the arc that was installed. And behind us, uh, behind you, I'm looking at it, uh, is the canyon. And mm -hmm. I remember in one of those grand openings that you did before the September 2020 opening, you know, you stood in front of that and you talked about that. And give us a little introduction to the canyon. Well, when the Original planning was done for the airport that we're now sitting in. Uh, the, the Department of Airports in the city conducted pretty extensive surveys uh, in the community and essentially said, what do you want? What do you want to look at? And of course, uh, people, there were some practical things. We want to plug our devices in. You know, we want comfortable places to sit. We want good concessions and the things that you would anticipate. But they also, and this is uh, pretty interesting because it was a recognition that this is a hub airport. Most people who land here don't leave the airport. They wanted 
people to know they were in Salt Lake and they were in Utah. And so you can look out the window. I can see the Wasatch from here. I can see the Ochres. I can see downtown Salt Lake. The colors, the textures, the materials reflect the local geology. Uh, very, very um, important, I think. And so uh, that combined with the local touch uh, of having uh, franchises and names that people would recognize here was really uh, part of the original design. The artwork uh, really reflects, you know, the canyons as they were, the slot canyons, an extraordinary piece of, of art. Uh, the falls at the front of the building made of dichroic glass, which changes color as the sun moves up and down during the course of the day. Uh, we have uh, saved the world map from the old airport, and that will be installed in the plaza on the B concourse. And I'm personally very excited about that because I know the meaning it has for so many uh, local people. Uh, and we'll have a really interesting art uh, installation in the central tunnel. We call it the river tunnel. It'll use the same technology here, uh, but blue, sounds of rivers, uh, something to kind of distract you while you're making your, your way over to the B concourse, but distract you in a very positive way. One last thing before we move into Fresh Tracks, you are the director of a huge airport. It's a huge public works project. Uh, but you are also the initial greeter of the millions of skiers and snowboarders who come to Utah each year. What makes your job so satisfying to you? Well, the thing I've always loved about airports is that it is a place of connection. Uh, it can be a happy connection. It can be a sad one. You know, I, I see uh, departing missionaries here all the time who are, you know, in a bundle of tears as they're about to take off for two years. Or I see people who haven't seen each other for three or four years make that connection. And I think it's a really powerful uh, thing. And it seems to me so fitting here in Salt Lake for any variety of reasons. But when I, this is an exciting time of the year because you see a few skiers, but not too many yet. Uh, but they're, you know, they're gonna be uh, arriving soon. And you can just sense the joy of this opportunity they're having to come to what is not even arguably the guest best skiing in the world. Uh, and, you know, how many people really get to do that? And you see them come in uh, excited in groups of anything from two to 20, uh, really ready to go at it. It's, it's pretty exceptional. Well, it is a great gateway for those skiers and snowboarders. And thank you so much for sharing so much with us here. We're going to wrap it up with our segment we call Fresh Tracks, some hopefully simple little questions for you. And let's take yourself outside of the, the new SLC. Do you have another favorite airport anywhere in the world that you really maybe have a good memory of or you admire the operations of? Well, I'm going to use two here because I, I would always say Portland. I love Portland. They're in the midst of an enormous project that is just gonna be spectacular. And it's usually ranked uh, at the top echelon of airports in the country. But internationally, I love uh, the Hong Kong airport. It's phenomenally beautiful, designed by the same architects who designed our airport, HOK. They're struggling a bit right now because of all that is going on in China and in, in Hong Kong, but it's one of the best airports in the world, in my opinion. Cool. How about a favorite 
Utah ski run for yourself? I think one of my favorite runs is Supreme off the Empire Chair at Deer Valley. Uh, it's got great terrain. Uh, there's some up and down if that's what you're looking for. There's some roundabout. But most importantly, from the top of that chair, you're really you're you're at the top of the range up there uh, and you can see for miles and miles and miles. And I just really have never had that kind of experience before. So and it's far enough away from snow parks so that you don't have quite the same crowds. Yeah. Not that many people are going to make their way over there. It is a great spot on the mountain. You can see all the way over to the Cottonwoods. Yes. Beautiful yeah. spot. How about a um, the biggest day ever at the old airport? biggest day at the new airport? Uh, I think the correct answer is we don't really know what the oldest or the biggest day at the old airport was because uh, they didn't count during the Olympics. And so that's a little tough to say, but um, the biggest recorded day at the old airport was about 32,000. The biggest day that we've had here so far is around 31. Uh, we have President's Day weekend coming up, which coincides with the NBA All-Star Game. And the TSA forecast is that we could see close to 40,000. Uh, so we're all going to be on our tippy toes uh, when that rolls around. Do you have a fun story, hopefully one that had a happy ending, of something that took place at the airport where maybe your team has been able to really lend a hand? I do. It's it's my favorite story. Um, <clears throat> when the United States pulled out of Afghanistan, uh, governor of Utah opened the doors to refugees, which is, of course, a very Utah thing to do. Uh, and a young woman with her husband steps off a plane and immediately goes into labor and gives birth here at the airport. And uh, there are many lovely things about this, but our firefighters were right there to help uh, attend, uh, is that that baby who came here as a refugee is now an American citizen. And I just think it's one of the sweetest things possible. And, and one more reason why I like this business so much. Yeah, that's a very good Utah story too, isn't it? You've lived in Utah now for five, five years, years five years now. What has really stood out? I know we talked about this earlier, but are there any things that have really stood out for you about Utah and the people? Yeah, I just think uh, I'm always impressed by where wherever I am. I can be down in Southern Utah. I can be up North. I can be East of here. People are just generally and genuinely very nice. Uh, they they reach out. They're pleasant. Uh, you know, a friend of mine said to me, he said, well, you know, when the pioneers first arrived in this valley, it wasn't entirely clear for about 20 years they were going to make it. And you're going to make it if you put your arms around other people and, and help pull the wagon, so to speak. Uh, and I definitely have that feel here. It's uh, very special. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I unfortunately am not going to offer you a tasting today, but do you have a, have a favorite High West brand? I do. Uh, it's the Double Rye, uh, which I use to make a very nice uh, Manhattan. Beautiful. It's one of their signature brands. And then lastly, when you think of this amazing airport that you manage, what's one word, just one word to describe it? Uh, boy, that's a really hard These are one. always tough. I think that, you know, one word that describes this airport to me is Utah. 
This airport was built to provide this experience for Utah, and it's going to do that for the next century. Listeners, I encourage you, if you have not been to the new SLC, get a ticket on Delta, get out here this winter. Bill Wyatt, thanks so much for joining us on Last Year. Thanks so much. Enjoyed it. Thanks to Bill Wyatt for spending an afternoon with us in the Central Plaza at Salt Lake City International Airport. It was great to have him on last chair. If you have not experienced the new SLC, book your Delta ticket today and come on out and visit us in Utah for a ski vacation. You've probably been hearing the stories on social media about the early season snowfall. Well, I can tell you firsthand, it's absolutely true. And then some. It is the real deal out here in Utah this year. I've been spending a lot of time lately at Canyons Village at Park City Mountain. The village at Canyons is becoming quite the hotspot in town. It's perfectly suited for a ski vacation to America's largest ski resort. Tucked away at the base of the Sunrise Lift is the Hyatt-centric Park City, a true ski-in, ski-out resort that allows you to quickly access the thousands of acres of lift-serve terrain at Park City Mountain. The Hyatt-centric offers one- to four-bedroom residential-style units featuring full-size living, dining, and kitchen areas, plus washer, dryer, and scenic outside decks. You'll also find a full-service restaurant and bar as well as outdoor heated pool and jacuzzi, a great place to soak after a day of powder runs off $99.90. If you're planning a ski holiday to Park City this winter, check out the Hyatt-centric Park City. You can book at Hyatt.com. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. We have a great season going with Last Chair. Did you catch the last episode on the Great Salt Lake? And if you like the podcast, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Make sure to subscribe to get every episode delivered directly to you. Thank you for joining us on Last Chair. And to close us out, as usual, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Party Grass Boys. I'm Tom Kelly for the Ski Utah Last Chair podcast presented by High West. Have fun. It is a great day to ski. Oh, I love to ski. I'm living in Utah. I'm living in Utah.